now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Monday afternoon, May 2nd. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. The powers that be at investment giant Berkshire Hathaway have made their feelings on cryptocurrency very clear. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, earnings season rolls on. Well, all eyes are on the Federal Reserve mid-anticipation over what the central bank will do with interest rates. We're joined by Tom Hudson, the week-ahead columnist with McClatchy Tribune News Services based in Miami. Tom, thanks for joining us today. That uh, level of that feeling of tentativeness uh, coming out of the markets today, does that kind of uh, reflect that investors are watching and waiting to see what happens uh, when the Fed uh, meets later this week and then, of course, when the jobs report comes out on Friday? Uh, Rob, you're a diplomat calling it market tentativeness, right? The market is downright concerned and worried not only about the Federal Reserve uh, being really late to the inflation fighting game, but also concerns about this rolling and roiling into an economic recession, perhaps in the months ahead. There's no doubt that the Federal Reserve is going to be more active uh, this week with uh, raising its short-term interest rates, trying to squeeze the market. But I think the more important message that the Fed is going to want to send, it has to send investors, is that it is uh, fully transformed into an inflation-fighting agency. None of this uh, dainty steps anymore. It is uh, half a percent uh, uh, raise in a short-term rate now, and probably at least a half a percent for the next few meetings. It needs to convince the markets that it is on board with fighting inflation, even if we see the unemployment numbers begin to uh, slightly tick up. The discussion uh, throughout the year has been sticking the landing, the Fed raising interest rates to a point to slow down the economy, but uh, not tip it into recession. Uh, as investors uh, uh, express their concerns, uh, do, have, are they still? is that still their goal, or uh, yeah. do, do they even care about that anymore? Uh, Hunter, no, absolutely. They do care about that. They need... They need that, you know, they're, they're, they've got uh, a lot of runway here, and they've been slow to get up into the air. Uh, the unemployment rate, which will get the latest unemployment numbers for the month of April coming up late on Friday, two days after the Federal Reserve meeting, is still going to be historically low. Yes, there's still going to be a lot of repair work to be done in the job market after the uh, pandemic depression that it hit two years ago. But jobs have bounced back. Wages are growing and feeding inflation. And the Federal Reserve and others definitely afraid of a wage spiral, a death spiral, that wages are increasing, inflation's increasing, wages are increasing, inflation's increasing. The Fed really needs to convince the market that it is, um, uh, that it is on duty for fighting inflation and that it has the spine, it has the steel to uh, put up with a slowing economy on guard against an inflation, but to put up with a slowing economy in favor of lower inflation. Now, the Fed, of course, is not alone. This is turning into a worldwide problem, and yep. central banks from the UK to Brazil, uh, all uh, c considering their own uh, monetary tightening programs, because inflation has now turned into a worldwide problem. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen this in the UK. We've seen it elsewhere beginning to take root um, uh, in other places in the globe. You're absolutely spot on. The Federal Reserve, though, is, yeah, you know, it's the United States Central Bank, certainly, but it sets the tone globally. The U.S. dollar is the dollar of global commerce. And as inflation eats away at the value of the dollar, eats away at the purchasing power of that dollar, it's not only doing that in your neighborhood, 
Rob, it is doing it worldwide with American products and goods. Tom Hudson, Week Ahead columnist, McClatchy Tribune News Services, based in Miami. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up, an analysis of the closely watched annual shareholders meeting hosted by Berkshire Hathaway's Warren Buffett. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The annual shareholders meeting for Berkshire Hathaway is taking place. Let's review the highlights with Gary Kultbaum, president of Kultbaum Capital Management and Fox News business contributor based in Orlando. Find him online, GaryK.com. Gary, thanks for joining us this afternoon. And the uh, key takeaway from the Berkshire Hathaway shareholders meeting in Omaha this weekend is that Warren Buffett is not a fan of cryptocurrency. Uh, He's a fan of logic, and I loved what they had to say about not just that, but a lot of things as far as what's happened in the last two years, whether a Rivian IPO comes public and has almost a a bigger market cap than GM and Ford put together, even though they have $260 billion in revenues and Rivian hadn't even sold a car. Uh, and just all the ridiculous valuations and the Robin Hood types and the short squeeze types and just buying anything at any price because you think somebody will pay a higher price and not worried about value and worth. I loved everything they had to say. It is one great dose of logic, but unfortunately, uh, people in their greed uh, will tend to jump on anything's moving. And all I can suggest to people is, Start listening to what he says. Go back years. He's been talking about this before, and you can save yourself a heck of a lot of money. Now, there is kind of a human nature element to this, though, and that's the fear of missing out. And the people who have uh, been in favor of these types of IPOs and the cryptocurrency uh, evangelists that we've had on this program say, well, it's it's similar to dot-com stocks or the tech sector in the 80s and 90s, and don't miss this particular boat. Um, is there, but there, there seems like there's some virtue to actually missing this particular boat until you find out it's actually a, a solid vessel. I have a simple phrase that I've been using for a couple of decades. Eventually, everything will go back to where they came from and what they are worth. Simple as that. And we have seen it from 2000 to 03, what happened there and what stocks did afterwards. Uh, Real estate in 08. We can go back decades to tulip bulbs and the nifty 50 in the 70s. It's happened every time. And I get it. While things are going good, my goodness, a GameStop goes from 20 up to 400 and something. The problem is most people found out about GameStop after it was already up 20-fold in five days and ended up uh, holding the bag because they didn't keep their wits about them. And as you said, the F-O-M-O, which is a four-letter word in my world, if you do not uh, play it right and you don't trade out of these things. Gary Kalpam, president of Kalpam Capital Management and a Fox News business contributor based in Orlando, Florida. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, Spirit Airlines is picky about who it wants to buy the company. Information to make cash and save cash. 
The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Spirit Airlines has rejected a buyout offer from JetBlue, saying it prefers another option. Let's get an update from Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services and Director of the Chattuck Institute at DePaul University. Joe, thanks for joining us today. Even though the JetBlue offer was more lucrative as far as uh, Spirit Airlines is concerned, it sounds like there were some real concerns about uh, regulators signing off on a JetBlue Spirit combination. Oh, that's exactly right. In fact, uh, uh, Spirit is, is feeling like the, the chance of antitrust approval, you know, is not looking good. So they think uh, it's going to be a pretty big time waster on their part. And, and much of the antitrust issue concerns over just the dominance uh, of JetBlue at Boston and New York, lots of traffic from the Northeast to Florida. And you put the two airlines together and they got a pretty, uh, you know, giant share of that. Not such a big issue in Chicago, but uh, it will be a tough road to get this through Washington. And then as far as uh, Spirit and Frontier are concerned, uh, both uh, low-cost carriers, uh, both for the uh, budget-minded traveler, uh, what do they get when they join forces? You know, you look at the initial offer from Spirit and and Frontier, and it really did look like a match made in heaven, so to speak. You take two airlines that have very similar, you know, business philosophies, unbundled service. You pay for everything. They try to be the low-fare option in every market. They run big planes, um, major markets. you know, and by putting them together, you you gain some efficiencies. We all know that Spirit, in particular, has had some problems with canceled flights and labor shortages. You know, you create a bigger airline, you just have more options. You have more planes at each location, and uh, it could uh, give a boost to the uh, you know the bottom line of both companies. And then, as far as JetBlue is concerned, the analysis was this was a play more or less for uh, Spirit's root network. They wanted to break out of that uh, northeast stronghold that they had. Uh, are there other merger partners out there that could actually uh, benefit them in that way? Well, you look at the the, the checkerboard, and it's uh, it's pretty well uh, uh, played out in some ways. And yeah, everybody, everybody that, has uh, a dance partner. It sounds like that's right. I mean, Alaska partnered with uh, Virgin America, and so now we really have you know three ultra discounters: uh, uh, Frontier, Spirit, and Allegiant. And then you got the big four, Delta Southwest, American United. And then you have JetBlue and Alaska kind of out there, uh, you know, in that midsize category. So you probably would look at, you know, JetBlue and Alaska as a potential partner to make them, you know, one of the big, uh, the big guys. Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services and Director of the Chattuck Institute at DePaul University. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Still ahead, some expert advice for people thinking about opening a restaurant. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. R. Kelly's new attorney files a motion to have some charges against the singer dropped. A high school teacher from Chicago presented with a national award. There are a lot of things to consider before opening a restaurant. We'll talk to an industry veteran about the potential pitfalls. And at Stock Picker Monday, we'll get a couple of ideas from an investing pro. WBBM business. The markets are lower. The Dow is down 213 points. The Nasdaq 
Nasdaq is down 54, and the S&P 500 is down 32. AccuWeather says mostly cloudy, a high near 60, but mid to upper 50s along the lakefront. Right now we have 49 degrees in Chicago at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, R. Kelly's new attorney is working to have some of the charges against the singer tossed out. The Sun-Times reports Jennifer Bonjean has entered a motion in Chicago federal court maintaining that the charges were filed too late. The trial is scheduled to begin August 1st. Kelly is accused of pornography and obstruction of justice. Teacher Appreciation Week is underway and it began with a high note at Taft High School on the northwest side. Jennifer Trejo's art class was interrupted by banners, pom-poms, and cheers as she was presented the Golden Apple Award for Excellence in Teaching. It means a lot because we're a neighborhood public school and I think we do really awesome things. For 15 years, Trejo has shared her love of art and creative thinking with her students at William Howard Taft High School. She's one of 10 Golden Apple recipients out of more than 400 nominations, an accolade she says is humbling. And like there are so many amazing teachers and to be just to get nominated is a huge deal. In addition to the Golden Apple, Trejo also receives a $5,000 cash award and will help prepare the next generation of teachers. My ultimate mentor was a Golden Apple recipient many years ago and just to get to this point, it's a big deal. On the Northwest Side, Rachel Pearson, News Radio, 1059 WBBM. It's 12:32 as the noon business hour continues. Uh, markets are now just down solidly. We're joined by Jeff Kilberg, Chief Investment Officer at Sanctuary Wealth here in Chicago. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Uh, let's start with the most uh, recent development on uh, in, in the markets, and that is the uh, yield on the 10-year Treasury bond uh, crossed three percent for the first time since. 2018. What does that tell us today? That is a dramatic move in the Treasury yields, that 10-year note. We have not been above 3% since 2018, so more than four years. And if you think about where the 10-year yield was, Rob, to start 2022, it was at 1.5%. So a double in the yield really kind of helps us better understand what the expectations are for the very lazy Federal Reserve to finally get their uh, house in order by raising rates. So high expectations. There's a lot of volatility in the market. Obviously, April showers may bring May flowers, so I'm staying optimistic. But you're absolutely right to see the choppiness, the volatility in the 15% drop in the S&P 500, all on this inflation where there's so many headwinds, but the bigger picture, we are impressed with earnings season. There are a couple of highlights, but we have to get through this Fed meeting. The Fed meetings on Wednesday, they're raising interest rates 50 basis points to combat inflation, but the 10-year note moving to the extent it has really puts a lot of constraints and will hinder growth in our economy. Now, uh, kind of translate that, you know, what does that mean for broader economic growth and whether or not the economy can actually withstand something like this? Uh, Because unemployment, which is kind of everyone's, you know, real uh, economic metric, uh, is at historic lows and uh, everybody is anticipating robust hiring when the the, the, the Department of Labor uh, comes out with their uh, April employment report on Friday morning. Uh, So what does this potentially mean? for the economy going forward with interest rates going up and with the uh, 10-year yield as high as it is? Well, I think the economy is still in pretty good shape. And if you think about uh, our economy as a boat, and there's a couple different oars powering this boat, and certainly the higher interest rates is not going to help propel the boat moving forward. Why is that, Rob? Well, every car loan, every home loan, every new purchase we have is typically tied to some form of interest rates, with interest rates as low as they've been, and they've been manipulated. They've been suppressed by the Federal Reserve to produce 
uh, inflation, to really stoke the economy. Now they're trying to pull it back in due to the fact that everything we are buying from gasoline to food has become more expensive. So they're in a very delicate uh, spot right now. They have to thread the needle. But I do think when we see an earnings season, we are seeing a lot of companies still report and they're doing well. So if you look at, you know, the Lockheed Martins, the Berkshire Hathaways, Delta, Dow Chemicals, some of these names, they're still doing well despite all the headwinds out there. So I look at this opportunity with the S&P 500 pulling back to the extent it is. This is now the opportunity to reposition your portfolio. This is an opportunity to rebalance your portfolio and buy some of these great names on a deep discount. It makes a ton of sense to own blue chip names, tangible names. Look at Exxon Mobil, look at Nutria, look at Johnson & Johnson. All these types of names really have to be important. As you see, we are in an inflationary rising environment, and we do have concern about interest rates really crimping technology stocks. Now, let's talk about uh, that Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Your thoughts on uh, Warren Buffett's thoughts on cryptocurrency. Uh, is there a kernel of truth there, or is this uh, uh, Abraham Simpson uh, yelling at a cloud? The old man yells at cloud headline from that Simpsons episode many years ago. <laughs> That's a great analogy. And yes, I think uh, his sidekick Munger and Warren Buffett maybe don't understand uh, decentralized finance and blockchain to the extent a lot of us do. I'm still a believer in uh, Bitcoin and blockchains and, and decentralized finance, but uh, there's a couple interesting takeaways from that meeting. And I think it's just old school versus new school. And I think we all have to meet somewhere in the middle, no matter how far you are on the old school side or the new school side. I think we all have to appreciate both sides. And that's how we get smarter. That's how we become better investors, Rob. Jeff Kilberg, Chief Investment Officer, Sanctuary Wealth, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next, some insight from an industry veteran on fulfilling the dream of opening a restaurant. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The restaurant industry has never been an easy one in which to succeed as an owner, and the pandemic supply chain issues and inflation have all added further challenges. Let's talk about taking the plunge into the world of restaurant ownership with Izzy Carey. President of Hospitality Works in Chicago, also known as the Restaurant Coach. Izzy, thanks for joining us today. And it sounds like your job in counseling people who want to chase that dream of restaurant ownership is to tell them to do something, anything other than owning a restaurant. That usually is my very first piece of advice. Um, because, again, you know, people just don't understand, or people outside our industry don't understand you know, how much work it is, how small the margins are. And, you know, if you look at the average profit in the restaurant business today, I mean, it's it's around 8%. That means you're making $0.08 cents out of every dollar. You make one mistake, you know, with uh, food portions all night, and you've lost your profit. So it is a tough, tough business. And is this simply a case, I mean, are you finding you're fielding more calls than average uh, compared to previous years? Uh, I am. We are getting a lot of calls of people who want to enter the restaurant business. They're not dissuaded by the news that they read, which is great, um, but they just have to have, you know, certainly the financial wherewithal to make it work. They're going to have to dedicate a lot of time. And if they're in other professions uh, that they'll keep, a doctor, a lawyer, whatever that might be, then they need to be prepared to hire the very best management uh, to run their operations as they can. Is this a function of the great resignation? You have uh, uh, people who are in high-salaried, high-compensation businesses. They've been working from home since March of 2020 and have had plenty of time to dream about that next move, and the restaurant is that next move? 
you know, that is for a lot of people. And one of the things that we've seen is there's a lot of great chefs out there who really want to open a restaurant and they don't have the finances to do it. So they're out looking for that that financial partner that can support, you know, building the restaurant and making it work. And sometimes we put those people together, uh, which is great. You know, that's a match made in heaven, a great chef and a great investor uh, to move forward. But people are out there doing it. They have a passion. Uh, we want to see them do it. I, there's nothing more that I like is to see a lot of restaurants opening. I just want to make sure that they are going to open successfully. Now, we, we've, I've done a number of uh, restaurant stories as part of our Made in Chicago series, and the first thing they will tell you is that it is more stressful than they ever thought it was going to be going into it, and the hours are longer than they ever imagined. But the reason why they weather both of those challenges is because they love it. And these are restaurants that opened or were slated to open sometime in early 2020, and they managed to get it across the finish line with the COVID pandemic in the background. Right, and that has certainly been very tough. I mean, we just opened two restaurants in the last two weeks that were slated to open a year ago, but because of the pandemic and, uh, you know, just the slow process of moving everything along, they were delayed. But I will say, you know, one of those owners who just opened on Monday uh, he is passionate, put in a lot of time. I mean, on I got there on uh, Sunday, opening day, and he had started his day at uh, 5 a.m. and didn't leave the restaurant till after midnight. And that is that's a pretty typical day for the near future. And then how many uh, wannabe restaurant owners were scared away by Gordon Ramsay? <laughs> you know, I think uh, I, there is a plus with the Gordon Ramsay-type shows and Bar Rescue uh, it does scare people when they see the mass amount of uh, uh, financial failures or how much it's going to uh, uh, cost to, to build the restaurant and what you have at stake. So it is, you know, it's risky business for those who are not, you know, professionals. And for me, it's all about understanding the finances before you pull the trigger on signing a lease. But if it works, it's great. Absolutely. Greatest business ever. Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, a.k.a. The Restaurant Coach, and to some, Buzz Killington. But uh, that's just because you got to be honest. Right, Izzy? That's absolutely true. Best advice you can get up front, don't open a restaurant. Join us at this time tomorrow for Travel Tuesday and still to come, our Monday Stock Picker. The best daily deal in Chicago, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Stock Picker Monday, and helping us out this afternoon is Bill Uliveri, owner of Senecal Capital Management in Glenview, the website, SenecalCapital.com. Bill, thank you for joining us today. You have two selections, and you're our resident uh, uh, crypto evangelist, I like to call you. <laughs> so uh, your, your first uh, selection is not that much of a surprise. Correct. Well, Coinbase, and full disclosure, we own it uh, for our clients and for myself personally, but Coinbase... Uh, is trading about $117 a share. It has its first mover adoption in cryptocurrency, and I would call it a pick and shovels business. It has more than 89 million users. There's 3 million more users waiting uh, in, on a list for their non-fungible token auction platform. It's trading with a lower valuation than like Charles Schwab and CME Group. It's, it's only trading at eight times earnings compared to like 30 times earnings with some other financial services groups. It has all these massive amount of silos that they are monetizing. They have com, you know, a commerce platform if you want to receive crypto as a business, prime brokerage, custody, a trading exchange, cryptocurrency wallets, developer tools, 
access to venture capital, payroll services, credit card lending. I mean, they're very friendly also with, with regulators. They have a great kind of docile relationship with the regulators. So I, I, I'm, I love Coinbase as a, uh, as, as a, a, a holding. And your next uh, stock for the week is a uh, overseas automaker. Yes. Um, well, I like Hyundai Motor Corporation. It's trading at around $37 a share. It's down 11.73% year-to-date. It's down 49% from its all-time high. It pays a five and a half, almost a five, about a 5.6% annual dividend. And the P.E. ratio is under five. As a matter of fact, uh, it's a very, very low uh, you know, P.E. ratio. I just love the chart pattern as well. I think it's, it's looking for a bottom. And they're Genesis vehicles. So the Genesis vehicles are Hyundai's higher-end luxury brand. Uh, you know, they're definitely in the top 10 sellers uh, lately. So I just I think that when the economy opens, when I say supply, when supply chain opens up, I think we're going to see the new car manufacturers do well. Because right now in Arizona, uh, 2019 used Hondas are selling more than the 2022 MSRP uh, for Hondas because they have them on a lot. If you have it on a lot, it's selling over a, you know, a three-year-old car, uh, MSRP. So I think we're going to see that inversion flip once the uh, supply chain opens up and, and things, uh, the dust still settles from the, uh, from the pandemic. Bill Uliveri, owner of Cynical Capital Management in Glenview, the website CynicalCapital.com. The selections this week, Coinbase, the symbol C-O-I-N, and Hyundai, H-Y-M-T-F, his selections for this week. If you missed any part of today's Noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app.